Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 10 of the Well-Read Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bierke, aka The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. While you're here, there will be two segments, a short one where I review the books I've read for the past week, and then a longer one which will consist of an author interview. So without further ado, let's jump right in. This past week was a really good reading week for me, as there were three books that I not only finished, but absolutely enjoyed. The first is an upcoming release from New York Times bestselling author Alison Saft called A Fragile Enchantment. Neve O'Connor has never let herself long for more. The magic in her blood that lets her stitch emotions and memories into fabric is the same magic that will eventually kill her. Determined to spend the little time she has left guaranteeing a better life for her family, Neve jumps at the chance to design the wardrobe for a royal wedding in the neighboring kingdom of Avaland. But Avaland is far from the fairy tale that she imagined. While young nobles attend candlelit balls and elegant garden parties, unrest brews amid the working class. The groom himself, Kit Carmine, is prickly, abrasive, and begrudgingly being dragged to the altar as a political pawn. But when Neve and Kit grow closer, an unlikely friendship blossoms into something more until an anonymous columnist starts buzzing about their chemistry, promising to leave them alone only if Neve helps to uncover the royal family's secrets. The rot at the heart of Avalan runs deep, but exposing it could risk a future she herself never dreamed of, and a love she never thought possible. This is such a wonderful, dreamy regency in England-inspired fantasy world with beautiful and fun characters, magic and romance, tension and banter, Neve and Kit are the perfect blend of enemies to lovers in Grumpy Meets Sunshine, and the forbidden love story, which is one of my favorite tropes, was executed wonderfully. This is a magical, atmospheric story that is an absolutely delightful treat. A Fragile Enchantment is out January 2nd, and thank you to Wednesday Books for an ARC, which for those of you who don't know is an advanced reader copy that publishers send out prior to a book's release date. The second book was the mystery thriller It Ends at Midnight by Harriet Tice. It's New Year's Eve and the stage is set for a lavish party in one of Edinburgh's best postcodes. It's a moment for old friends to set the past to rights and move on. And yet the celebration fails to materialize because someone at this party is going to die. Midnight approaches and the countdown begins and it seems like one of the guests doesn't want a resolution. They want revenge. But there are many present at the party who might have reasons for seeking revenge, and just as many who have spent their lives trying to outrun it. So who is the killer, and who is the victim? If you're looking for a twisty, smart thriller with unreliable and flawed characters, red herrings, and lots of lies and deception, then this book is for you. It Ends at Midnight is dark and messed up, but in the best possible way. It was twisted and suspenseful, and overall a very enjoyable read. Shout out to Sourcebooks Casablanca for sending me a copy that will proudly sit on my shelves. And last but not least, the third book I read was the highly anticipated Iron Flame by Rebecca Yaros. Everyone expected Violet Sorengale to die during her first year at Basquiath War College, Violet included, but threshing was only the first impossible test meant to weed out the weak-willed, the unworthy, and the unlucky. Now the real training begins and Violet's already wondering how she'll get through. It's not just that it's grueling and maliciously brutal, or even that it's designed to stretch the writer's capacity for pain beyond endurance. It's the new vice commandant, who's made it his personal mission to teach Violet exactly how powerless she is, unless she betrays the man she loves. Although Violet's body might be weaker and frailer than everyone else's, she still has her wits and a will of iron, and leadership is forgetting the most important lesson Basquiat has taught her. Dragon riders make their own rules. But Violet knows the real secret hidden for centuries at Basquiat War College, and nothing, not even dragonfire, may be enough to save them in the end. 
Now, not everyone is a fan of Fourth Wing, but I am, and I was really looking forward to the sequel. And while I love Fourth Wing just a little bit better, I still really enjoyed the heck out of this one. There was a lot of world building in this book, preparation for what's going to happen in the next three, and it did take me a little longer to get into it than I would have thought. But about halfway through, things started to pick up and I ended up devouring it. And that ending, I don't remember the last time I was so affected by an ending. A part of me is really interested to see where the story goes, and another part of me is furious because of what happened and because I was definitely not expecting it. Overall, if you enjoyed Fourth Wing, give Iron Flame a chance and really try and make it to that ending. So now that I've gone over those, let's jump into the review portion of this episode. I am absolutely honored to introduce my guests today because not only are they incredible writers, but they are real-life best friends. Our first guest's debut in The Shadow Garden was released last year by Forever Publishing, and her upcoming book, The Other March Sisters, is coming out in spring of 2025. In The Shadow Garden is a richly atmospheric debut combining mystery, magical realism, and a touch of romance, about three generations of empathic witches and was featured on The Kelly Clarkson Show. An herbalist and a witch, she loves to garden, brew a good cup of tea, and read and write stories that captures you and refuses to let go. Our second guest is the author of the upcoming Nora Ephron-style sapphic rom-com The Lovers, coming summer 2024 from Berkeley, as well as the author of the young adult horror novel Lost Girls coming from Delacorte Press in 2026. When she isn't writing books that make her bi soul sing, she enjoys watching horror movies, listening to BTS, and reading Tarot by Candlelight. Please welcome my incredible guests, Liz Parker and Rebecca Fabian. Welcome, welcome, welcome you two. I'm so excited to chat with you guys. How are you doing today? Good, it's Saturday. <laughs> yes, it is Saturday. It's... I have been looking forward to Saturday this whole week. So it's uh, it's been an interesting week. It's yeah, it's been an interesting week. So I agree. I'm glad that it's Saturday. So I do want to start by asking because when I met both of you, it was at the Happy to Meet Cute signing uh, down in Valencia at the Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Um, and I met both of you and you were like, yeah, we could both be on it. We know each other. We really like each other. So <laughs> we spent a lot of time together. <laughs> so how did, how did you two meet? The so, internet. Liz, you take it. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the internet. Yeah. Twitter, I think, or blog slash Twitter. Yeah. It was like early 2010s when blogging was really popular among aspiring like young adult authors now it's funny because the books we're going to be talking about are both adult uh but we both started in the YA space and we met via blog hops and twitter and we had some mutual friends that eventually turned into a group chat that eventually turned into our friendship (laughs) (laughs) yeah no, nice. yeah. that's so cool. So you guys have been friends for a while then. Yeah. Yeah. Like over a decade? Been, yeah, I want to say it's got at this point it's gotta be. Like at yeah. least right at either right at 10 years or a little over 10 years. Yeah. So how has that been being friends and seeing both of you become published? Because I know Rebecca, yours is out this next year. Mm-hmm. And Liz, yours, you just celebrated your first year, your first anniversary. Happy anniversary, your book <laughs> release. You. Yeah. So how has that been being able to support each other throughout the years and, you know, confiding in each other and like I said, supporting each other? Yeah. I mean, so Liz and I started out as like, not like right at the beginning of our friendship, uh, but we were definitely like early on, like doing the beta reading, you know, critique partners. So we've both really loved each other's writing and we're just kind of like 
somebody has to agent like I think Liz was actually repped or like I think you had gotten repped yeah I think just yeah like I think it was right after I signed with my first agent that we we started uh, like we started kind of going off Twitter and into text message like I feel like that's like the the telltale sign that your internet friendship has made it is when you switch to phone numbers (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's true it's true I mean and just to you know say a lot about me I don't do that with that many people if somebody gets my phone number it's like you really like are in I like really um but we so we had sort of like so Liz had an agent I I think I was not agented at the time but I did end up signing with an agent like fairly soon so yeah it was very shortly after yeah we've seen like and I've been I've been with three agents (laughs) so she's seen like all of the ups and downs of like having to like leave an agent having to query again sort of like after you've already been on sub um and so we we definitely walked through a lot of roller coaster ups and downs together yeah and I think there was never a point where either of us were like it's not gonna happen for us like I honestly think having the friendship with other authors especially other other writers who are in pursuit of the same thing really helps you to not give up on the dream (laughs) absolutely well and like in the shadow garden was my sixth book I think and so like and I was on submission five times before in the shadow garden sold and Rebecca was there through every single (laughs) one of those um and so it's having somebody that you can be like get really excited when you get a positive email but then also you know look at the 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 no's together and look for the positives or Mm -hmm. you know say whatever needs to be said to make yourself feel better (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know the things we say when, when somebody doesn't agree with you that your friend's writing is the best thing that's ever like you know graced the universe and yeah they haven't bought it you know uh, and, and then writing together I mean we haven't written any projects together but we do a lot of sprinting previously on the internet um or via text message and now we live in the same city we do a lot of sprinting in person too so we'll sit down and we'll do dedicated writing and we brainstorm a lot Mm -hmm. um, and help bounce ideas off each other for our books and that's super helpful as well it's yeah it's Liz moved to LA and I live I obviously I was in LA I've been here for six years Liz was in Northern California so like I was like she she had come from Tennessee and so I was like she's closer and then she and then she like got moved from Northern California to Los Angeles and I was like she's right here yeah it's like a 15 minute drive like so it's I wish I had that really lovely and see, I'm constantly sending my friend Mackenzie, the one who lives in Ohio, you know, texts like, this is really inconvenient for me that you live halfway <laughs> across the United States because we're both, we're both writing kind of our first manuscript and because our master's program. Congratulations. Is, uh, thank you. It was in popular fiction writing and publishing and that's how we kind of met. And so it's really nice to have someone, at least for me, who's completely new. Obviously I'm not published yet. I don't have an agent. I don't have any of that stuff yet, but it's nice to have someone who understands the process and the ups and downs to the process, because I'll talk to my family. I love them. I love my family. They're very supportive, but unless someone is a writer, I feel like they don't actually understand 
the intricacies again of the process because there's so many ups and downs you know things take a lot of time it's not it's not something that happens overnight and so it's been really nice to have someone who I call and I'm like I think I just I think I need to completely rewrite this and switch POVs you know and talk (laughs) each other through certain things and talk each other through plot points and character growth and it's it's got to be so nice though living in the same town because I'm telling I keep telling it her is. at some point it hasn't maybe. been that long what has it been like eight months nine no ten months it's ten months it'll be a year and nice months. and yeah, so but I mean so nice. it's like what were we thinking why were we not I mean <laughs> we, we literally why were you not here <laughs> Mackenzie Mackenzie I know you're listening so take advice from Liz and Rebecca okay because I know you're listening to this so yes. you're like, I know you I'm sorry say- your life is in Ohio but I need you to come right. here to we, we need to live in the same city it's very inconvenient for me uh <laughs> yeah. So you said that you guys do a lot of writing sprints together. And I know on your Instagrams, you just posted that you guys went on a little writing getaway together. How was that? Where did you guys go? It was so fun. That was probably the first we've done just the two of us because we've done a writing retreat. Like we did Valencia. So we did the, the where we met you. That was like not actually a writing retreat, but like we were obviously together because like we don't go fairly, we don't go places without the other person. <laughs> but this was like because we had done writing retreats with our other friends like uh, before our, and so this I think was the first one we'd done just the two of us like going like being like let's go somewhere and write books and also like eat donuts. We went to Oakland, <laughs> which yes. is like an apple picking town. And we had cider donuts and Liz had so much apple cider. Like <laughs> too much I apple love cider. apple cider. It's that sounds volume. amazing. <laughs> like, I'm gonna have to we get were, by the where end, you guys we go. Like, no more apples ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to get where you guys stayed and what you guys did because that sounds amazing. Fall is my favorite. Yeah, where we stayed was wonderful. We loved our 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 little I guess it was like a bed and breakfast. Yeah, it was a little in. Yeah. Did you guys write or was it a brainstorming kind of? We did write. Vacation? We wrote, we brainstormed, we did adventures. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit of everything. <laughs> it was a lot. Like we packed it in there. I mean, I love like exploring and, and Liz and I have a lot, quite a bit of crossover in our interests. Like we both like going out being outside, you know, yes. we both love plants. I am not an herbalist. Liz is, you know, in her herbalism era. Um, (laughs) But I, I enjoy it greatly. And I love learning about, I'm a Gemini rising. So I love learning about like, I love like a lot of stimulation. I love, so it was just a, it was a really good time. Yeah, it was great. Cause there was like a, a nature walk, like a, a, botanic garden thank you botanical garden yes and so it had all like the little plaques in front of all the plants and we got very excited to see all the plant so exciting it was a lot of fun we were <laughs> very, very excited about plants and yes. writing <laughs> <laughs> so I appreciate that because I I used to live in Idaho um my parents retired and they moved up there and I lived up there for several years uh, before I came back down to California and I got really big into herbalism and I'm slowly starting to get back into it because life happened and I couldn't focus on that. So for those people who don't know about herbalism, Liz, can you kind of explain what it is and how you got into it? Yeah. Um, so herbalism is working with plants um, 
medicinally, but also like I'm a witch. So it's, I'm also on like the spiritual magical side of things with the plants um, and working with meditating with certain plants for uh, spiritual and emotional healing as well. But it's, so there's physical and then there's the emotional side of it. Um, And I got into herbalism. So I have always been interested in plants. And like I grew a bunch of my own teas and did a lot of self-study but there's only like so, so much that you can learn yourself where you feel confident, like dosing, for example, like with, with plants and you're like, okay, well, how I see that at some point stinging nettle could be toxic and how and when, and it's, if you, you know, uh, harvest it after it's gone to seed. And anyway, um, all of that to say, I took a course with a different friend of mine and I'm still in the middle of it. I'm in the second year of it working on getting certified, but it was actually after in the shadow garden was written that I started taking this course. Cause in the shadow garden took me even deeper into my research around plants and herbs. Um, and then the course, of course, I'm now obsessed with plants even more than I was. And I post a lot of like videos about, tea blends and what teas do what and that sort of thing. And actually herbalism plays a much stronger role in my next book, um, the other March sisters. So there's in Meg March's story, there's a lot with, with plants there too. So apparently that's my brand now. (laughs) That's very (laughs) exciting though, because like I said, I love that stuff. I, I started to get into it, um, at my parents, they have, uh, elderberry trees, wild elderberry trees and, is it Mullen? I I say Mullen. Is it Mullen? I say Mullen as well. I guess okay. That's how oh I pronounce gosh. it. <laughs> there was a lot of Mullen on in our Oakland. trip in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, there was really? Mullen everywhere and elderberry. And every yeah. time I saw it, I was like oh, Mullen. And then Rebecca we, was like elderberry. We, yeah, we identify like so. Liz has this app on her phone for identifying plants when you don't know what it is. And I, it was we just literally one of the like we went, we were like taking a break from writing sprints and we were like let's walk around the property. <laughs> And so we like walked around and just identified every tree. <laughs> it was That's amazing. Cool. It was, we were the coolest people. In we're a really fun weekend. time. <laughs> hey, it sounds like a great time. I'm not going to lie. If I was on that trip, I'd be like, I want to hang out with those two. Those two are it pretty was cool. Fully, like we were just walking like around the scanning trees with our phones. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and I think the first time I kind of realized that you liked that stuff. And I recognized it was when I started reading shadow garden in the shadow garden, because your town's name is Yarrow. And I love Yarrow. And Yarrow was one of the first ones that I ever got into because my kind of mentor at my job when I lived up in Idaho, she was really big into this stuff too. And she gave me, uh, she taught me about Yarrow and she taught me about comfrey. She had a comfrey plant and she gave me a cutting. I'm obsessed with comfrey. And I wish I had planted I had planted it up at my parents' house and I wish I had brought a cutting with me because I love comfrey for like external stuff. Yeah. But yarrow, I'm telling you, man, for when I get cuts and stuff out in the garden, we have some yarrow in the back. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, well, and it was Incredible. like used by um, the ancient Greeks, like on the battlefield, they would use it to staunch really? bleeding. Um, yeah. And, and I named obviously, since you know Yarrow, I named the town of Yarrow, Kentucky, Yarrow, because Yarrow is specifically a very powerful healing plant. And healing is one of the main themes of the book. So I'm so glad that you are familiar with Yarrow. And and you say it the way I say it. No no shame to anyone who says Yarrow. I just don't. um, Probably because I've spent so much time in the South. Uh, It's, you know, I use awe. Yeah, I've never heard of Yarrow. (laughs) 
That sounds weird. <laughs> it's it's just, it's a beautiful plant. I was before in the Shadow Garden. So, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah Liz so says it, so it's got to be right. <laughs> there you go. So, Liz, if you had to pick, I'm not going to make you just pick one because I couldn't pick one. If you had to pick your top three herbs and stuff that you could, those were the only three that you could use for the rest of your life as an herbalist, what would you pick? Okay. So top of the list would be red raspberry leaf um, because I am a person with a uterus and the hormone (laughs) balancing powers of red raspberry leaf are like unmatched for people with uteruses. Uh, So like it's, and it's a nutritive herb. So it's got benefits outside of hormone balancing. Um, And then I would say oat straw would be my number two. Oat straw is literally like the straw of the oat plant um, and like the milky tops before they go to seed. And oat straw is a nervine. It's really helpful for like anxiety, which I have a lot of. Um, And it also eases depression. All all three women here. (laughs) (laughs) Oat straw is amazing on every single front. And then the third one, oh, see, I have my top two. Mm-mm. probably burdock root uh which i love burdock root it's an it's an adaptogen for one but it's also nutritive so like you can have it every day um and and it's really good for your gut it's also good for anxiety um and it helps like hair skin and nails all the people are like liz why is your skin so i'm, I'm like it's burdock root it's burdock root. <laughs> um and sometimes depending on the the burdock that you get like it turns turquoise when you steep it some of it turns brown or like an orangey brown but sometimes some of the sometimes it will turn turquoise and that's so pretty to me I'm very there for the aesthetic (laughs) you gotta you gotta love the aesthetic (laughs) okay I'm gonna have to look into oat straw because as someone with anxiety and depression I'm gonna have to look into that because I've heard of oat straw but I've never I've never used it so I'll have to research it yeah it's so good like I'm obsessed with oat straw um I drink it almost every night before bed and it's really helpful for like calming anxious thoughts and it's delicious so what is your favorite way of infusing the herbs do you like tinctures do you like teas what's the what's your favorite kind of way to do it I know it depends on what you're using so I like to do an overnight infusion where you put however much it depending on the herb into like a quart jar and steep it in boiling water and infuse overnight. I also like to do glycerites. So that's using vegetable glycerin. Um, I do tincture, but glycerites are really fun because they're tastier than tinctures. And so they go really well with like sparkling water. Um, so I'm, you know, and they, and they help cut bitterness for like bitter herbs, like blue vervain um, or like any bitter herb it really helps to put it in a glycerite. It's going to taste a lot better. I am not an herbalist, but Liz makes me things and has, I've obviously, as you can see, I've learned from Liz so many Mm -hmm. things. Um, And, but I am also very um, inconsistent with things unless it's the easiest in the entire world for me to do. It has to be immediately readily available at all times. Um, so I do a lot of just, tea. I, so she like makes me teas that I can, and has encouraged, like taught me about what to look for in tea. So I just, I drink a lot of tea anyway, like throughout the day. Cause I like to drink tea cause I don't drink coffee after like early in the morning. And, uh, so I drink a lot of tea and it works really well too. 
Good yeah. to know. That's and such a good friend. A lot of tea so blends. <laughs> She does. Such, she tell me, me what to look for in teas that I buy too, because I didn't know before. Because I also am a woman with a uterus, a person with a uterus, and I need um, some things of that that help that. Uh, so she's taught me like what to look for and stuff when I'm looking for teas to drink to in, enhance my life and health. So, so Liz, first of all, I feel like you need to have a whole series where you really dig into the teas that you use because I've I stopped drinking caffeine. I unfortunately got COVID not too long ago and I withdrew from caffeine because I was miserable. And so when I healed and when I got better, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try it and not go back. And it's been amazing, but I've been into drinking, I guess, infusions, not necessarily tea because there's no caffeine in it, but um, you're going to have to do a whole series. We can still call it tea. It's fine. <laughs> okay, good. Because that's what I still call it. I still call it tea anyways. So we're going to, you're going to have to do, I feel like a whole series on that because I need some, I need some ideas. Yeah. Well, so on my Instagram and on my Pinterest, I actually post a lot of tea content specifically like talking about how much to use and like what each one does. So I'm yes. perfect. That's what I need. That's exactly what I need. <laughs> where do you, where do you get your herbs? Do you grow them or do you buy them from a supplier? Where do you get them? I grow some of them. Um, but I also, I like mountain rose herbs. I think they're somewhere in the Northwest. Oh yeah. I mountain love rose mountain rose. I love mountain rose. That's where I get, that's where I used to get mine is mountain rose. And then Oshala Farms, um, which I want to say is in Oregon, maybe. Um, when Mountain Rose doesn't have something, I'll get it from them. Good to know. Okay. Yeah, yes. I love Mountain Rose. They're great. They're just a great company. Yeah. So Rebecca, yours, like I said, your book is not out until next year and I haven't read it mm-hmm. yet. And I'm very sad and I'm very upset that I haven't <laughs> read it yet. But yours focuses more on tarot, correct? Yeah, so the main character of The Lover, well, one of the main characters, it's a dual POV romance, um, rom-com, I guess. And one of the main characters is a tarot mystic. So she has like a YouTube channel that she's built um, doing tarot readings, like general readings and information about it. And so she is hired in in the kind of the plot of the the book is she is hired to work a wedding weekend she does like a you know she's going to do all like multiple events over the course of the wedding weekend out in joshua tree so um it it involves a lot and there's tarot in the kind of origin story of the romance between the two uh women and so it's it's very steeped in tarot (laughs) I know nothing about tarot. I that is one thing though that I've always been intrigued by, but I know yes. nothing about it. So, how did you get into tarot, and how has your journey with tarot been? So, I it's it's it, my journey started. Well, I come from a uh, Christian background, and I too was always very intrigued by tarot, <laughs> and not you know coming from that, not being sort of allowed to learn about tarot. And I, over the last 10 years, have come out of that Christian (laughs) background. And uh, in the process of that, I was like, I'm going to look at things that I've always thought I couldn't. I want to learn things that I've always wanted to learn more about, like, like spells, like spell work, uh, you know, and I fortunately had Liz as a friend who was very encouraging about those things. (laughs) 
and knew a lot. So it was funny. I wanted to get into tarot, um, was very intimidated by it, still definitely had some lingering, um, is it okay for me to do this? Like, is this actually going to like send me to hell, even though I don't believe in hell now? Um, and I, 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 Liz knew I wanted to get into tarot and knew that I was being very superstitious and like needed a push. And so she actually, for Christmas one year, got me my first tarot deck and <laughs> gave it to me. Good She's job, like, Liz. You want Thank this. you. <laughs> And part of what had was keeping me from getting a tarot deck was I had like read somewhere that you can't buy your first deck. And I don't know if that's true or not. But um, if you're listening and you want to get into tarot, it's not true. Buy your own tarot deck. But also, if you have a witchy friend and you're superstitious, just ask them to buy you just one. Just be like, can you buy me a deck? Um, <laughs> so she bought so she bought me a deck and it was I mean, it, it, it for so for me, tarot became very much a healing part of healing that sort of old wounds from religion, and I dove in to it completely. Yeah, I took like a tarot like this. There's this like there's a YouTuber who actually was one of the people that I was like kind of like as I was getting into tarot, I was watching this girl's YouTube because she did like tarot readings and stuff on it. And uh, she, which is funny because Kit is, I mean, obviously Kit, the main character of The Lovers is um, a YouTuber who does tarot. Uh, but I, she had like a tarot course. I read tarot books. Like I, the thing with tarot is like, there's no way to get like into it. You just have to start doing it. You just have to start playing. It's like playing. Like, I think, I think anything witchy is kind of like, it's like we are so interested in it when we are children and teens, especially teens, like adolescent girls are so interested in like witchcraft and tarot and like astrology and all of that stuff because it's like the things that it's like playing. It's like really like playing with the like what what exists in the universe. And so really there's no wrong way to like learn tarot or do it, I think. I, I love that it was like a healing process for you and it helped, it helped you through that. That's, that's really special. I like that connection. It sounds like it came into your life at the right time. Like I said, good yes. job Liz for buying her her first deck. Yes. <laughs> and that's, that's cool. So when you started writing, it's the lovers, right? That's yes. what your book is called. When you started writing the lovers and you sat down and you decided, okay, I'm going to do this. Did you know you wanted it to be about tarot or did it just naturally happen? So I had written a kind of, I do, I do synopses for my books. Uh, I've sold, so I actually, this is not technically my debut. I've written three other books under, I mean, I've written a lot of books, but I've got, I had a pen name. Um, so before that I've written books under, and uh, so I've, I've written a lot of synopses for selling projects. So I had actually like, written a full synopsis for this story you know as part of like learning about the story learning to figure it out and also as part of hoping to eventually sell it and I uh Carol was like kind of involved in the first iteration of this story it was not called the lovers at that time um and but it was interesting because we actually I got feedback um, from somebody very, very important, from my editor, <laughs> a woman who ended up becoming my editor, 
um, that she felt, and it was just this like one line, basically like, she was like, what if Kit was a tarot reader instead of the job she had in the, in the first, I think she was like a photographer in it. Cause it was set at a wedding and it was like, it, it's so funny how like that, like the right feedback at the right moment can completely change your trajectory for a story because she said it and I immediately saw like the better version of the book I <laughs> had plotted and uh and then it became because the terror was sort of there but it wasn't as integral into the plot line it wasn't what it is now where it's really driving so much of the story and I changed, I just changed it. I just made her a tarot mystic. And then the entire, and then everything sort of became much more grounded in that. And it became one, a better book, a better plot. But it also was using something that I loved and that I think is one misunderstood, which for a book that is about a queer character, queer characters and, and deals with kind of coming out a little bit in the story um I think it's wonderful to use something that is a little bit misunderstood tarot can be very misunderstood and misrepresented and represented in an authentic way so it was really fun that makes me so happy though that you were so in tune to that feedback because I feel like a lot of the times people will give you feedback on whatever it is it doesn't have to be writing Mm -hmm. just life in general and people's egos get in the way Mm -hmm. and you know they shoot it down or they don't listen to it but if you're if you listen you know to the universe or science or whatever your gut whatever you want to call it there are moments in your life where someone says something and it just it clicks and it, mm-hmm. like you said, it completely changes the traje- trajectory of the project, of your life, whatever. Because that's what happened to me when um, I started writing. I was with my mentor. She was my uh, partner, my mentor at my other job. And she started talking about, um, she was listening to an audiobook and she started talking about writing. And f- she was like, well, you know, have you ever written a book? I was like, no, I loved it. And I went home and I was talking to my mom and my mom's like, I've had an idea for like four or five years for a book that I want to write. And it just clicked. I was like, we got to write this book. That's been pushed back back a little bit. That's going to be my next project after the one I'm currently working on. But it's that one moment where her and I were in the car driving back to work. It completely changed the trajectory. And if I hadn't been paying attention, I hadn't listened my life. I mean, I wouldn't get to interview you guys. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So that makes, it makes me happy that, it seems like you both are like this though, where you're very in tune with the things that you're receiving and the things that are going on. And that, that makes me really happy that it just, it clicked for you. Yeah. I mean, I think, oh, what? The book, Rebecca's book is very good, by the way. <laughs> so I'm very excited to read it. She's only the only one who's read it. Um, But yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that I, started writing um in screenwriting so like my kind of original like inroad into writing was screenplays um I love movies movies are my very favorite thing in the whole world (laughs) um and I so yeah I love I I love books too but like I grew up as like making short films and stuff and so I started writing and there's a there's a thing and you've probably heard it um in screenwriting that says and it's like kind of a saying about getting notes and it's it's not the note necessarily that you receive and I think that when you push a note away 
it's often because on the surface, the note doesn't resonate with you because you, it's not what you either want to hear or it's not in line with what you think you're trying to do with the story. But there's always a note behind the note. Every note that you receive comes for a reason. And it doesn't necessarily mean they don't, the person giving the note doesn't necessarily know what the reason is, but there is a reason that they're giving a note. And your job as the creator of the story, whatever it may be, is to figure out how to make it the best that it can possibly be. And so you have to find the note behind the note. If it's not working for you, there's a reason that there's a note there and that you need to figure out what that is if you want it to be the best. That's really good, Rebecca. I think I'm going to say that. <laughs> There's a note behind the note. Yep. Interesting. I really like that. I'm going to have to have to put that one in my pocket for exactly. later. Yeah, I, really I like mean, that. It, it helps to like just know, okay, like I may not like this or this may not be what, but they didn't get it. You know, we all are kind of our knee-jerk reaction sometimes is like, well, they just didn't get it. And this note doesn't make any sense, but it is there. And you got to find out why. Like that's your, that, that's how you make a book good or anything really truly what it's supposed to be is you figure out why it's not working what has been the hardest thing for both of you to write has it been a specific scene has it been a specific character has it you know it sounds like Rebecca you had to change a little bit you had to change your story a little bit when you got that feedback what has been the most difficult thing for you two to write Mm. uh I'll go I'll go first so yeah I'm like like Liz (laughs) (laughs) I mean the project I'm working right now is very difficult but I would say I think the most difficult thing that I have done recently was in the shadow garden was originally two timelines um and it has flashbacks that take us to the past but it was actually initially the past summer and the present timeline um where Irene and Caden's relationship was more taking place in the past than in the present and I got a note and I smashed it together to make it all present day with flashbacks and that's what made the book work but it was one of the most difficult things I've ever done was trying to figure out what pieces I carried into the present day and what scenes would work in the present day versus, and then how to unveil the mystery and what happened in the summer of missing memories without actually um, having that as a timeline in the book. And again, there's, there's flashbacks and memories that take place because of the memory magic in the book. But um, that was probably the most difficult thing I've done in recent memory. She also turned in the shadow garden from a YA to an adult novel. I did. That's true. I rewrote it from the ground up. Was also very challenging. Yes. Wow. That was before the timeline smash. Yes. It works really well, though. It works really well as an adult romance. So I'm glad. I'm glad that you made that because it it's a it's very very good. Rebecca, what about you? So mine would be so not as like polished as Liz. Um, writing sex scenes. (laughs) it's probably the hardest thing I had to do as a writer um I there's so much vulnerability in writing sex scenes like and it's and I write romance and I write open door like fully because like that's what I like to read I'm like I'm not gonna write something that's not what I want to read 
So I'm, you know, committing to open door sex scenes and knowing that those will be read by, you know, hopefully thousands and thousands of people. (laughs) um, The hardest thing, because you have to, it's that Stephen King thing, right? You have to write with the door closed um, and edit with the door open. So I definitely wrote those sex scenes with the door closed. I was like, nobody is ever going to see this. I had to lie to myself great like a great levels of deceptions gaslighting happening that no one was ever going to see this or read this um and then um and then obviously my editor did uh and, and Liz did and my agent did read it and, and then you know living with that knowledge is the hardest um and part of it is because when you're writing like for me I want it to be realistic I want it to be emotional I want the sex scenes in romance when you include sex scenes in romance I think they are one of the most important beats of the story so I wanted it to have a lot of impact um and because it's saying so much about the two characters and it's character development like it's so much happening and I felt a lot of responsibility too and it's also a sapphic the lovers is sapphic so it's you know putting really good representation of like genuinely like how two women are in a relationship that was very important it felt like a lot of pressure (laughs) Um, and and not to mention like you know my mother could read that like she better not but she won't again uh you know Christian background I don't think she's gonna read it but um that scene probably (laughs) so I want to go back to Liz really quickly because even though I've read the book, some people might not have that are listening. And your book is about memory magic kind of on two different fronts. How did you come up with that? Because one part of it is the shadow garden where it's like an empathet, empath, empath, oh my God, I hate this word. Empathic. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I swear. I swear. I know words. I swear. Um, Empathic magic where they kind of take the emotions and the, uh, you know, trauma and stuff. And then the other one, you have bourbon magic, which completely gets rid of your worst memory, right? How did you come up with that? And why were those the two kinds of magics that you wanted to have? Well, the book started with the, just the, (laughs) the book started with the shadow garden and it started with a summer of missing memories. And initially in like the very first so I won't spoil anything but in the very first draft of this book which was terrible there was like a bear scene anyway it's it's that's irrelevant um in the first draft of the book the shadow garden was created by Irene because she had a very traumatic thing happen to her and she used her empathic magic and all of those memories went into the soil. And so she forgot everyone forgot. And so that's where it started. And that's, that didn't really work for the book. Um, it evolved into these two separate things where I kept the healing, um, element of the Haywoods where they heal their neighbor's pain, kind of like weeding a garden and the, the memory magic of, the bourbon didn't come into play until I turned this book into an adult novel. Um, and it was just, mm-hmm. I had the bourbon in the young adult version, but like, obviously when you're writing YA, like you don't 
I didn't want, I didn't want everybody drinking bourbon all the time. Uh, and so, so I didn't go too deep into it. The, the function of the bourbon in the original version of the book was, um, for the gloom because gloom is based on like an actual fungus that exists in, in bourbon distilling towns. But in turning the book into adult, there was this moment of, well, what if the bourbon itself was magical? And it, and in that moment, it created a foil to the Haywoods magic, um, where this idea of healing over time with the help of somebody who can aid you in that, maybe like therapy, uh, versus forgetting your worst memory, maybe like self-medicating with alcohol. (laughs) Yes. Um, and so it kind of grew in that moment of transforming the book into an adult novel And I think that's really what made the book because it also then created, it was an evolution of some magic that was happening in the previous version that I won't talk about because that would be a spoiler for what actually happens in the final book. But in turning it into an adult book, um, realizing that the bourbon itself could play a role in the novel and, and do things plot wise, uh, that's kind of where that came from and involved. It's it's a very unique kind of magic that you have in your book. And it's one that I hadn't read before. And I really like like what you just said, where the bourbon is self-medicating. You know, some people tend to go that route. And then you have the people like where it's more the therapy where you try and work through your problems and you kind of release it that way. And it was it was a very refreshing kind of magic to read because I love witchy books. Witchy books have been my things ever since I was a little kid. Cause I I'm still convinced that my mom and my two aunts are part witches. I swear they are. (laughs) And so I've always loved magic and witches and anything remotely associated with that. But like I said, I had never read a book where it was, where the magic was so unique like that. And it really was an interesting thing to see these characters process everything that's happened to them through these two different outlets. And it's, it's a really good book. It's, it's, Thank you. it's a really good book. So I highly good. recommend everyone read it. And Rebecca, <laughs> when are arcs of the lovers <laughs> going to be out? Because I need to know when I need to request one. Probably next year. Um, the book You're going to make me wait so- that long. I know. I feel it's so funny. I'm like, I've never so like the I've published young adult um under in with in my pen name and the first book that I so the first book that I published was with uh undercourt underline delacourt was um horror hotel and that was like a 10 month timeline that was like the fastest timeline ever don't do it ever if you have I mean I do it you should if you get an opportunity I'm like take every opportunity um but you know just know that it's going to be very stressful um this is like the 18 month timeline and I've never actually had this and so like this is very new for me like having the book announcement happen in January of this year and the book doesn't come out until like late you know, like end of summer next year and so it's like people are like so excited and I'm like me too and I'm like but it's not gonna be it's gonna be a while um it's gonna be a but while. maybe maybe there'll be 
pre-order links by the time this airs yeah so do you, i don't know when the when it's going to be airing but i do know that we're in production now for the book so it's fully in production so the production phase of the lovers is is in full swing and so i am expect. i think my editor said like nine months 10 months before the book is gonna so it's still gonna be a little while actually uh, probably but um, I don't, I'm not sure. So I can't tell you. I'm like, you know, as much as I do at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to it. Cause when I met you guys and you guys were on the panel or you two were on the panel, I, cause I'd read Liz's before and I was like, Rebecca's like, I haven't heard of her. I'm going to look this up. Cause it sounds really good. And it sounds really interesting. And there was nothing online. I was oh, like, why can't, can't I find it? Nothing. I want to see the cover. <laughs> I want to, I want to read this freaking book. Yeah. Really I good. want to see the cover too. No, <laughs> <laughs> we're again we're like that's where I actually have like I had fun emails over the last couple of weeks about like all the production stuff going on so it is um the cover is going to be very 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 cool <laughs> I can I'm tell very you excited right now. like it's I'm very excited to see it so good um but I think part of like for me this is very unusual because we like also like I have a film film rep for this book like right up front like it went out on film sub before the book was even completed um so this has been like an unusual process for me that I've not ever experienced before um where so many people know about the story and people in the community are very excited for this book to be coming out and I'm like still like it's so far away (laughs) it's so far away you said that because I didn't realize that you had written under a pen name before Mm -hmm. oh what made you want to switch from a pen name? So the pen name was in a collaboration. I had a writing partner gotcha. that, um, and we had sort of, it had originated with like a book we wrote on Wattpad that we didn't know what it was going to happen with it. And um, so we had pen names because we didn't know what was going to with the book that was on Wattpad. And then that book ended up selling to forever. So I, I do have a rom-com that is out that is a book and a book um, that I wrote with a, a writing partner. And so it was always like something I use, something that happened because then in the process of the uh, rom-com coming out, because it took a very long time because of our situation with Rob, Wattpad, um, I like we sold a book to for to um, underlined uh a horror novel and we just used the pin name again and so it you know it was for the creation of those collaborations primarily okay. in my mind that makes sense so because I also want to know this about you Liz Rebecca you said that you originally started in screenwriting what mm-hmm. made you want to transition to novel writing and then Liz I want to know what made you want to be a writer too So for me, it was a few things. I started writing screenplays. I had written a screenplay and had it reviewed by some producers. And one of the people that read it said, you know, this is really great. This is very like literary. It has like a very literary feel to it. Um, You should write it as a novel. (laughs) And I was like, I've never, I was so intimidated by writing a novel I thought people who were really smart wrote novels and people who had gone to master's programs wrote novels and I was not I I, I'm smart but I was not I had not done that you know I was like I can't you're you know and then 
in the so sort of in the process of that in like that season of my life um which was like 12 years ago now I um read the Hunger Games <laughs> and I read like all I got I found YA I, I did not know YA was a, a thing that existed um, in the form that it was coming out. Like Twilight, why, you know, The Hunger Games, Divergent, like that was that season of books. And I was like, I loved like the, the presence of the YA voice. I loved the immediacy. It felt like my own voice. Like I felt like I could do that. I was like, I think I could write that kind of novel. And not, I mean, my first novel was literally The Hunger Games, but fantasy. It wasn't The Hunger Games, like there was no Hunger Games, but it was like, if you read The Hunger Games and wanted to write a novel, which I think everybody did, um, it was a fantasy that had like, you know, I mean, Hunger Games things going on in it. Like it was like a dystopian fantasy is what I would call it. So very different um, space. Mine was, um, mine was Divergent with Dragons. Um, so so nice. same page. <laughs> yeah. So we just, you know, you just did what you didn't, you, it was the only thing I knew. And so I was like, this is, you know, and I, so I really kind of like, I was living in Brooklyn, my family, I had a toddler and we were like, my husband got a job in New York city and we were like living in Brooklyn, which is like where literary things are. And I was like, this is it. This is my time to write my novel and get it published. And it was really interesting because like, I just threw myself into it. Like I didn't know what I was doing. I had no, never written a novel before and, um, and learned through the school of hard knocks how to write one and that's how I that so that's how I went from screen I mean I still write screenplays um and I love writing scripts and I do I live in LA for reasons um related to that but like um novels became like I love the visceral experience of writing a novel too so much I got into right I did not think that I was going to be writing fiction like in college, I was like, I'm, I'm a poet. Um, <laughs> and I took a creative nonfiction class where like, I, we had to write a memoir and it was like 40 pages. And I was like, I'll never write something that's 40 pages in Microsoft Word. And now I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> um, but, and I really enjoyed that process, but I was like, okay, well, maybe I could do creative nonfiction. My cousin- um, was t writing books, trying her hand at writing books. She, she's an indie author and she's published now. Um, but she was sending some of her manuscripts to me and we were giving feedback. And, and I was like, maybe I want to be an editor because this is really fun. And then I had another friend send a manuscript to me. And as I was like reading it, I started to get ideas for my own thing that was completely different. And I was like, wait a minute, maybe I can write my own fiction. And like, I had done like little things as a, as a kid, like character things uh but I had never actually thought I can write a real book like I tried I tried to write a book about a dragon when I was a child as well um <laughs> but it was it was reading that and I was like well I could try this and so the first book that I wrote which was actually not the Divergent with Dragons that was the first one I queried the first book that I wrote was very derivative of like lord of the rings uh it was and it's terrible and nobody will ever read it and it lives on a hard drive uh but that's you know you learn you 
the only way to learn how to write a book is to write a book. Um, how you learn. Yeah. And so and I read a lot of young adult fiction like Rebecca did because I was a young adult. And so I was writing or I was just past young adult, you know, I was 20, 21. Um, and so that really shaped a lot of my early writing. And and then I there was a book that came out, Bone Gap by Laura Ruby. And that opened me up to this different world of magic, which then led me down the path of reading everything Sarah Addison Allen has ever written, which is what then led me to write in the Shadow Garden. <laughs> so it's a journey. Very nice. Journey. <laughs> so you just celebrated your first year of the Shadow in the Shadow Garden being out. And Liz, you just you just said and you just confirmed that it's in production, that the lovers is in production and you're slowly moving towards uh, yes. these pre-orders and everything so it's pretty much done uh where are you two at in your next process and especially with you Liz how has this first year now that it's done how has that been oh my gosh the first year has been so wonderful and also difficult um, it's been wonderful getting to know readers and connecting with people online. I'm very, I'm very online and I'm very active in the DMs. I don't know what'll happen if my Instagram ever gets hacked because people are like, <laughs> I don't DM anyone. It's not me. And I'm like, oh, I DM everyone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that part has been really great. It's also been a challenge because, you know, I've really wanted to sell my next book on proposal and that's not how it happened. Um, and so I'm writing, I'm in the process of writing a book and then, but I also announced my next, so I say my next, I wanted to sell my next solo project on proposal, but I also announced my next book, which is the other March sisters, which was a collaboration. And so there's learning from going from the moment of being an author on submission to wanting and actually building a career as an author has been a really interesting and unique challenge. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been very exciting and fun too. Did I answer the whole question? I got distracted. What are you, I, I think I think so. What are you doing now? Oh you yeah. Finished a book. Yes. I just a finished a book, which I'm hoping will sell. Um, and I'm, I will have that ready for my beta readers like Rebecca, Rebecca uh, in nice. like two weeks. <laughs> very nice. I like it. Uh, so I, um, I am, so I'm in, I, the lover sold in a two book deal, um, which this is my first time with that uh, experience. And I very into it. I recommend it. Um, it's <laughs> hard, <laughs> it's very challenging, but it's cool to know that like, you don't have to like, it's not an option. They have, they're going to publish the next book. Um, like, you know, it's just a nice, like fun place to be, um, less slight, only slightly less terrifying. Um, because there's a whole other reasons why it's terrifying, uh, because you have to write another book, uh, in the same vein as <laughs> your soul. And, but I, so I just turned in materials to my editor for my book two, hopeful, hopefully book two, that they're both, they're, they're going to say, yes, go ahead. That's what we want you to write. Um, which was a really interesting challenge, uh, for, for that you're writing a synopsis which is you know a like you know an outline essentially but like of a story that I have no idea what I'm gonna do with so I had to like figure out all of that and pages and then I'm hoping um to go back to but as myself on my own a young adult horror so I'm I'm hoping 
for that to happen soon. So very nice. Well, good vibes and sending you good vibes. Yeah, thank you. Um, if you, if both of you, because I'm totally going to pick your brains, because like I said, I'm working on my manuscript and hopeful future author. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to pick your brains and I want advice. If you could give advice to someone who's writing their first book and going through the process, what advice would you give? <laughs> I'm being very self-serving here. I'm being very self-serving and I'm not going to apologize for it. <laughs> Do you know what you you would say? I think I know. No, you go first. Okay. So (laughs) I feel like what I would say to somebody who's in the process of writing their first book is that it, if you think it's ready, it's probably not. (laughs) Um, Don't query it uh, until you don't rush, rush the first part of this. Um, You never get that back. Like you never get the first book. You never get just writing for yourself um, again. Uh, once you sell a book, it's it really never is the same. And so when you're in your, ex- like, soak up all the experience at the beginning that you possibly can. Um, don't be afraid to get a lot of feedback, um, but know when to not, when it's done. So like, don't be afraid of taking your time um, because you're not going to like miss it just because, so, oh, somebody like, you've got to, you've got to query it now because other people are querying it. And what if I miss my chance? You're not going to like, if whatever is meant for you is meant for you, it will find you. Um, you're not missing your opportunity by doing the work that you need to do up front. And you're likely making it more likely that you will actually achieve your goals if you take time to really make what you're doing good. But my second piece of advice would be to know when to move on when a project is not working, when a project is not going to happen, know when to let it go and move on to the next, something new. Yeah, good advice. I would echo that is, is that, I would echo Re- what Rebecca said in that Go into the process with hope, go into the process with optimism, write what you want to write, write the story that you want to tell, but be willing to let it go. Um, Because sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes a book doesn't become anything. I have a lot of shelved Mm -hmm. manuscripts and maybe I'll rework them someday. Um, and you know, some people are like, oh, we well, can go indie with it. And yeah, you can at some point, but if, if your goal is traditional publishing, then you really have to be willing to always be writing the next thing. And so when, when I say, you know, be willing to move on, it's not, oh, well leave your books behind. I mean, yes, but it's more that you're always working on your next project. So when you finish, yeah, take a little bit of time to rest, like, you know, give yourself a couple weeks, but then start the next thing because that's that's what keeps you that's what pushes you towards getting published is that you're always writing something new um and if you're always writing something new it won't matter if you hit a trend or don't hit a trend because you're going to be perfecting your craft and getting better with every book you write so there's no wasted words like i think about in the shadow garden was the sixth book that i wrote kind of the seventh ish. Cause I finished a first draft before I finished in the shadow garden, like in the middle, but all of those books before that made me a better writer. So mm-hmm. that the book that I published, a lot of my re- early reviews were, I can't believe this is a debut. And that's mm-hmm. because it was my 6.5, yeah. <laughs> six and a half book. Um, and that makes you 
stronger. Mm-hmm. So keep going, keep writing. Um, and then the other thing that I would say is read, read in the genres mm-hmm. that you're writing, read outside of the genres that you're writing, because you will learn things. I read a lot of horror. I read a lot of, I, um, I read a lot of different genres and you, you, learn things from those that you can apply in whatever genre you're writing that will make your book stand out and make your writing sing in a way that, not that it's a competition because there's space on the shelf, but in a way that maybe your book is the one that somebody will pick off the shelf when they go into the bookstore. I love that. Thank you both. Like I said, I was being totally self-serving there (laughs) and I'm totally okay with it. And it's interesting how you both kind of touched on keep going, but it's okay to leave something behind. So when I was living in New York and I was writing my first um, Hunger Games, it, you know, inspired (laughs) piece of fiction, um, fan fiction, Um, I met, it was very uh, magical, I think probably. Um, The universe was really taking care of me in that moment. I met at a park, just like a city park in my neighborhood, a woman who is a literary agent, at the time, she was a junior agent or like an assistant, um, but she was at a very respected um, literary agency. And I just met her like we both had kids the same age and like we just started talking and I said something about writing a novel and she was like, I'm a literary agent. She never, never represented me. That was that is not where this story is going. Um, but she became a really important ally. And one of the things that I learned from her as I was learning to write novels was that I was not ready. (laughs) Um, And she encouraged my writing in such a wonderful way to keep me going, but she made it very, like, it also, I was like, I kind of like, you'll know when you're ready, but you're not ready yet. And so she gave me, kept me from, I think, like getting too discouraged up front by putting my work out there and it being rejected um, just like because it wasn't ready and I wasn't really ready to be a published author like I I didn't I didn't have the skill set I didn't have the tool set yet to do that and I am very great this woman is still a literary agent she's very successful (laughs) in her career um I will shout her out actually because you probably she's Kathleen Glasgow's uh literary agent and so Kathleen and I know each other very well because of that her name's julie julie stevenson um oh my god julie's amazing um wonderful human being and so she is literally the reason i did not query early i mean i eventually did query i think it was about a year and a half two years into the process um and i but yeah she's she taught me so much but I, i met her at a city park in brooklyn um and she became a very, very important ally early on. So I also would say, look for your for your mentors, look for your people that are further along and in the journey. And or and not just writers. Like it, you can be friends with a literary agent and then never represent I never queried you. <laughs> I was like, I like you too much. I'm not gonna query you. Um, you know. So there's like, I'm like, you know, the boundaries of business relationships are very important. (laughs) It's amazing though, how people can seemingly randomly come into your life and for whatever reason, you know, because I truly believe that everything happens for a reason. I've had enough stuff, enough stuff happen in my life to where I may not have understood why certain things happened, but, you know, looking back, I do understand why it happened. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely amazing how 
the right people can come into your life at the right time. And like you said, completely change how it goes. It's, yeah, it's incredible. I, mean, I feel like that's a theme, you know, we the right people and the right uh, opportunities, you know, I'm like, I'm, I, I think that, I think that we should just, yeah, always be open to <laughs> what's coming, what comes your way. I love that. So speaking of something that's coming your way, okay, we're going to do our rapid fire into interview questions. Hi. So they don't have to be rapid fire. You can, you can <laughs> talk about it. It doesn't have to be one or two word answers, but okay. I want answers from both of you because I love, I love these questions. I'll try okay, to what keep is... it short. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to. What is your favorite genre to read? Liz? Shit, I don't know. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, I'll say, I'll, I will say, I think my favorite genre is horror. It's also my favorite genre of film. Um, I am a very, I, I, I always like to say that I am a deeply morbid person who is always looking for a happy ending. So I write That's horror fantastic. and I write romance because of that. And I read, I, my second favorite would be romance. So horror and then romance. I'm going to go with horror and what publishing calls magical realism but like there's a broader question to or conversation to be had about magical realism because it's uh as a a thing magical realism is rooted in like latinx heritage so people will like shelve my book as magical realism even though i am not latinx um so maybe fabulism although i do like magical realism by latinx authors like uh raquel Vasquez Jilliland has a book out called Witch of Wild Things that's so good. Um, but so I would say that horror and magical realism probably would be my my two. I can see why you two are friends and I can see why you've <laughs> stayed friends for so long. So yes. if if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be? I have a trope in the proposal that I just submitted. Um, the fake dating slash only one bed trope is in there. Um, I really hope that they let me write that. (laughs) I would love to do a true enemies to lovers. Like there's elements of enemies to lovers in in the shadow garden, but it's not actually really enemies to lovers. I would love to do like a true enemies to lovers or a monster love story or both. I would love a monster love story. (laughs) I would love to read one of those, Liz. Okay. I'm so excited to where the trajectory, the trajectory of your uh, careers are going. I'm very excited. (laughs) I just want to say, I cannot wait to see what you two put out in the future. (laughs) Okay. What are you currently reading and what is on your TBR list this month? I am reading A Discovery of Witches for the first time and I am very obsessed with it. Um, which has maybe changed the trajectory of my TBR list for this month because I probably will end up reading that full series. (laughs) But one book um, that is on my TBR for this fall is All the Fighting Parts by Hannah Sawyer. Uh, Mm. It is a young adult novel in verse, Me Too novel that takes takes place in the church. Um, Like Rebecca, I also am deconstructed and out of evangelical Christianity. Um, and so I think it's going to be a difficult book for me to read. Uh, but Hannah's wonderful. And she was at the event that that Rebecca and I did that we met you at. Um, and so that one is on my TBR. No, I really want to read that one too. Um, we just love, you know, just going back through our trauma. (laughs) So much fun. So much fun. (laughs) So great. Um, I am reading, so it's, I am a Scorpio. Uh, it is spooky season. 
I am literally, it is taking everything in me to not just only read and watch and think about horror. Um, so I, which is, I'm not doing a very good job. I um, am of that because I am currently listening to The September House, which is a haunted house horror, um, like, book that just came out I think this like very recently and it's very good I love it and it's so much fun I like I just started realizing that I could listen to books um even though you know everybody knows about audiobooks but I was like I don't do that and now I'm like what was I doing I was wasting so much time um so I am listening to that I'm also listening to um oh god the title it's the cold world and I, my brain is and it, alicia is one of my friends it's literally yeah a, alicia uh, thompson under, yes yeah from uh, love with, with love, from, with cold love world. from cold world i'm like it's got like two parts of the title um and that sh- we have an editor uh, we share an editor so i'm listening to that which you know totally works still works for the spooky season energy um i'm also listening to it. and then i just i'm probably going to be reading oh i bought carrie I've never read Carrie. Oh, you could have um, borrowed it. I have it. I know, but you know, I was at the store yesterday and <laughs> it was fine. just calling my name. <laughs> so I bought Carrie and am going to read that for this spooky season. I will probably read a lot more. I am like really into the spooky um for to horror, to horror novels right now. So it just it sounds terrible that a book was calling your name and you had to buy another book. That's just that sounds absolutely one. terrible. That's quite the predicament you were in. It was like oh. you've been saying you're gonna read me, buy me. <laughs> Please buy me. Rebecca. Okay, so if you weren't an author, you cannot choose a screenwriter, Rebecca. Okay, you gotta okay. pick something else. Uh-oh. If you if you were not an author, what do you think you would be doing for work? Oh, I know what I would do. I would be a private detective. <laughs> I, I, 100%. I like the confidence. I do this in my daily life already. I try to, like, I am constantly looking for a mystery and trying to solve it. <laughs> Every mystery. Any, I mean, there's no, like, I just, I would 100% be a private detective. I work in social media marketing, so I'd probably be in social media marketing because that's where my skill set is. But if this was like a, if I could pick anything else, mm-hmm. yes. uh, it would be like, I would be Irene Haywood and have a tea shop and be doing herbalism. That is what I would be doing. <laughs> oh, but I would also work with Liz in her tea shop and Correct. be a tarot reader. So that, I yeah, can I get a part-time psychic. job there? Can I, get, <laughs> can I get a part-time job there? Because that sounds amazing. I'm like, I, I, we could do, we could solve crimes on the side. Like, yes. Like, yes. <laughs> Okay, so if you could invite one person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would you invite? Oh God, that's hard. Oh, I know who I'd invite for dinner. <laughs> Wait, yeah, you do. This is easy uh, for you. You know exactly who I'm going to say. Florence Pugh. I would invite <laughs> her. She would cook. We would cook together. We would. It would be amazing. <laughs> I love her. She is I who I would her. invite over. See her. Okay, dead or alive. I think that I would invite Edgar Allan Poe over for dinner. <laughs> it would be very weird. And very I, scary. I, it'd probably be super uncomfortable, but like, I just have a lot of questions. Yeah, you just gotta find out. It's a lot of questions. <laughs> I, I need insider information. <laughs> I love Poe. Um, I have read almost all of his short stories and one day I will write an Edgar Allan Poe inspired novel. I haven't. 
I have written one and it didn't sell. Um, and I'm trying to figure out what to do with that. Uh, but I, I am, I just really am. It's, it's a low key obsession that I don't talk about ever except with like she's talked to me about it (laughs) and my husband I I have heard it (laughs) you're like I've heard it in depth I've heard it in depth I I know about it (laughs) now if you can invite any fictional person over for dinner who would it be would it be one of Poe's characters absolutely not (laughs) not if I want to (laughs) die no who would I invite over fictional that's very that's harder than the real person yeah that's much more difficult um maybe somebody I'm just like the first thing that popped into my brain is maybe one of the characters from love oh from one piece because <laughs> I just watched one piece and I love all of them so much so maybe Nami <laughs> or Luffy <laughs> Hang out. did you I watch the live action one Sanji. <laughs> yeah the live action one I would maybe Sanji I don't know the whole team I would have Gideon from Gideon the Ninth over. If you have not read Gideon the Ninth, Gideon is so funny. And I just think that it would be a riotous time. Yeah, you want to invite some somebody over that you would have fun with that wouldn't like yeah. kill you or kill you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree there. Yes. Yeah. So I'll invite the whole crew from from One Piece. <laughs> <laughs> how about we put the crew from one piece together with poe and you guys oh can my have gosh. a, a co-dinner that would be would an have dinner. a very interesting dinner poe yeah. would be like he would be very interested in like luffy being able to stretch himself i think he would as well <laughs> he'd be very interested in that <laughs> he's like tell me more show me more what can i do with this now if you could go one place I want one for domestic and one for international. Where's a place that you haven't gone that you want to visit? One domestic, one international. So domestic, I I would like to go to Crater Lake National Park. It's because beautiful. it's very scary and haunted and beautiful. And I'm like it's beautiful. You're like it's very haunted and scary. I like am one of the, I am like the, my truest form is to just like seek danger <laughs> and you know adventure um so crater lake i don't know for for international i have to think for for a second okay domestic i would go to salem um massachusetts international and i i'm gonna butcher this pronunciation because i don't speak french um there's a town in northern france it's on the border of france and germany it's like it's spelled A L S A C E, and I have yes, I know ancestors from there. Um, and it is a very witchy town, and so I just picked two witchy towns, which is very funny <laughs> to me. But that's where I would go. Um, that little French German border town. Um, maybe I mean I am I'm army. I love BTS, so probably South Korea. That tracks. <laughs> I'm just I want to go find <laughs> BTS, you know, and that's. I mean, I'm not going to find, I'm not going to stalk them, but, you know, just like be in the, in the neighborhood. There was actually a video I saw not, I don't know, it was a couple of days ago. It was about a bachelorette party. Take your bachelorette party to Salem in the oh fall my gosh. and do a bunch of witchy things. And there was this one place they went where you can make your own brooms and you can pick different colors. They have crystals, they have herbs, they have plants. Like it was amazing. And I've low key decided that that's what I want to do. Be- oh, I want to take really my family. Fun. 
and my best friends and we're gonna go and we're gonna be witches basically in Salem for like three or four days so I I understand I the Salem. Let's, let's go right yeah I know. it sounds <laughs> interesting it sounds fun <laughs> okay so last question what currently brings you joy I'm gonna say cooking um I used to cook a lot and then when my career started to take off and I had a lot of different stuff going on in my life, probably the last four or five years, um, I was in kind of like fight or flight mode a little bit um, and did not find joy in cooking and really lost my, uh, I, in the, in the past, it had been like a very much a creative outlet that had nothing to do with writing um, and was really uh, meaningful to me. And I liked you know, being, I like the whole process, like the, putting music on, drinking wine, doing the whole thing when I'm cooking. And so I lost that. And I, over the last, like, probably four or five months, I've started cooking again. And I specifically cook, like, on a weekend day when I can make it, like, and I make very intense, very involved meals. And um, so that, for sure, because it's kind of, like, brought me back to a part of me that I wasn't connected to and it, it connects to a lot of different things for me um so so cooking I'm gonna say Fay Farm on the Nintendo Switch which is a cozy <laughs> game that's kind of like it's got like elements of Animal Crossing meets um Stardew Valley but like the animation is very reminiscent of Ocarina of Time and it's it's delightful um I'm dating a lot of different people in town <laughs> um we're having a great time playing the fey field <laughs> what was it called it's called fey farm i got wings now and it's it's a whole thing and i have like some pet bunnies and i have like this chicken and anyway this is time. not me writing the name down it's that's not at all what i'm doing and sometimes you just want joy. a cozy game and it's so cozy and it's like it's like all the things I don't like about Stardew Valley, it's like somebody played Stardew Valley and was like, mm, I don't want this in a game and I don't want this in a game. And then they made their own game. And it's and so I don't have to deal with, you know, falling asleep at 2 a.m. and being dropped off at my house and losing all of my money. Um, Ugh, the day just ends at midnight and it's fine. So anyway, and fishing's easier. <laughs> that makes me happy. Well, thank you so much, you two, for being on here. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. And it's been wonderful to chat with you. Thank I'm so you excited. I'm so excited to read The Lovers. And I cannot wait to read your next one, Liz. Thank you. Thank you so much, you guys, for being here. Thank you. This is so us. much fun. Thanks for having it us. Was. <laughs> That's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I would like to say thank you again so much for taking the time out of your day to tune in. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week. <laughs>